again, good morning. You know, I love rain. I guess I'm in the right city for that. Uh, I also love almost as much as rain, uh, an umbrella, a really good umbrella. And I've got a little bit of a collection going. Uh, I don't know if you guys use umbrellas here in Seattle, but I, I do. Uh, rain is just an excuse for a good umbrella. Well, and I want to thank you for a weekend off last weekend. It allowed my wife, Anne, and myself to steal away up to Victoria to use just a few days during this crazy Advent season to, to reconnect. And it was really a gift for us. We saw in the forecast that it was supposed to rain, kind of excited about that. And when I got to the front desk, the rain was just coming with us. And the first question I asked of the young woman at the desk was, do you have any umbrellas? Now, this was a little bit of a test because we weren't gonna take any chances. We had already called the hotel in advance to know whether we should pack our own or not. And I just wanna make sure, I was feeling a little anxious about it. And she said, yes, sir, we, we do have umbrellas. I said, ah, great. And I said, and how would one get one? And she said, well, we have them right here at the front desk. Um, so would you like one now? Uh, you could have one now, or you could have one when you come back downstairs and go outside. And I looked around the lobby and I saw people gathering there and I looked through the glass and I saw the rain starting to come on the driveway. And I thought, would I like one now or am I willing to wait until later? <laughs> you know, I wonder what you would have done. And then she could tell, I was sort of hesitating and she said something that struck me as brilliant. You'll see why in a moment. She said to me, sir, um, I really would be happy to give you one now, uh, but you're welcome to get one later. We have behind us here a room with a limitless supply <laughs> of umbrellas. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this woman is really good. She, she must be a student of human nature because she saw right through me, right? Knew exactly uh, what I needed to hear in order to, to know I, I didn't really need an umbrella at this moment, right? We have a closet behind the desk with a limitless supply of umbrellas. Well, it, really, the question in my, for me wasn't so much uh, what was in the closet. I, I think as I think about it after the fact, the real question was what was in my heart? Uh, that's where I was wrestling. And this Advent season, we're paying attention to our hearts, right? Christmas is a wonderful time. It's also, it can be a really hard time. Uh, it's, it's a hard time because our hearts are heavy with loss. For many of us, there's someone who's not with us. This Christmas season makes our heart heavy. Or our hearts are darkened, frankly, with all the music and ho, 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 and we look around and we seem like we're the only one in the world not having a jolly, jolly good time, and it makes our hearts darken. Or, frankly, our hearts are exhausted because uh, with trying to keep up with all the tasks and all the work that's associated with this restful time of year, we just feel kind of spent, exhausted. What we're trying to do as a church is kind of cut through the craze and connect. We're trying to simplify Christmas this season. And that's not about bah humbug. It's actually about honoring the season and trying to connect with what it's really about. And we're, so we're giving each other permission, you know, this year, what would it take for you to simplify? 
What would it take for you so that when you get to the end of the holiday season, you feel more connected uh, to yourself, to your faith, to people that matter to you and to a, a, a better world? And whatever that is, we're saying go for it, do that, or don't do whatever you need to not do. One way to do that, I think, is to put giving over getting. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. Let me start by asking you a question. How many of you in the past few weeks have had someone, someone ask you this question? I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. What do you want for Christmas? How many of you heard that? Okay, I know it's hard for Presbyterians to raise hands, but we can do better, right? I believe in you. Yeah, it looks like, okay, a lot of us have heard somebody, somebody say that. What do you want for Christmas? And I'm thinking, is that a good question? Does that help me engage with the season? Is that, is that good for my heart? What do I want? It kind of puts me in the center of the whole story. Well, today we're gonna to see that Jesus offers us an alternative. As always, he has another way, he has a better way. And he's gonna speak that into our lives this morning through his word. Um, and we're gonna meet him in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's uh, three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter six. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab the black book on the rack in front of you, please, and turn to page 787. And there you'll find Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24. Three little paragraphs there. I'd love for you to read it with me. Would you, if you're able, stand and let's read the teachings of Jesus and God's word to us this morning aloud together as an act of worship. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Well, if you were listening to what you just read, Jesus gives us three objects, three everyday objects, a treasure, a lamp, a slave. And this is so often Jesus's way. He takes something we understand to teach us about what we don't understand. He's trying to draw us deeper into a mystery. And the mystery here, the thing we don't understand, it's our own hearts. That's what each of these three objects tell us about, our own hearts. And many commentators have noticed they also tell us about money, about finances. So there's good, there's good teaching here. I might even say, you might agree with me, not so much money, but getting, getting stuff, money, getting anything, the impulse to get, kind of wraps our hearts up, doesn't it? Well, let's listen to Jesus and see what we can learn from these three objects. The first one is a treasure. And this is about loss, about loss. 
Jesus says in verse 19, don't treasure treasures. He uses the, the same word for the noun and the verb. Don't treasure treasures. Why? Well, it's not that there's anything wrong with treasures. They're good things. But what Jesus tells us about the treasure is that earthly treasures, treasures on earth, they don't last, and they will always disappoint you. That's interesting. We're asked to imagine uh, like a wooden chest stowed away somewhere for some future time. And, and when that time comes, uh, the person goes and finds the treasure wherever it's hidden and, and, and opens it up, and inside there's, there's cloth, but oh no, it's been eaten by moths, and there's metal, but ah, it's been eaten by rust. And the side, the back of the, the box has been broken in, and treasures have stolen and the wealth is gone, and it's just a loss. It's just a loss. Jesus is teaching us about loss because loss is a fact of life for all of us. We lose money, we lose people, we lose time, we lose status, we lose strength, we lose a sense of home. Happens all the time. Happens when we go to school or when we send our child to school. It happens when we experience a breakup in a relationship. Happens when we move from one home to another, when we retire, or when we face the indignities of old age and just go through the aging process, loss. And loss is what makes our hearts heavy, isn't it? Loss in the past makes our hearts heavy with grief. Lost in the presence makes our hearts heavy with anger. You took something from me. Lost in the future, as we anticipate it, makes our hearts heavy with fear. We're constantly trying to prevent that loss from occurring. A treasure. It's about loss. The second object that's an everyday object Jesus talks about here is a lamp. And this is about perspective or seeing. Perspective. He says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. Why would the eye be the lamp of a body, the eye? Well, because it guides the body. It it's, allows you to move your body safely. We're asked to imagine a woman, and she's sitting at a, a little table in a room, and, and, it, and it's dark in the room, except for the fact that there's a lamp on the table, so it's not. And she can see, therefore, the walls lit up. She can see the door. She can know that she's safe. She can see the task at hand. Or we're asked to imagine a man outdoors uh, at night on a journey, and he's got a lamp in his hand, and because he does, he can see the roots, he can see the brush and bramble as he makes his way, and he get there safely. Losing perspective is so easy in life. It's worth thinking about this time of year, how easy it is to put work over relationships, to put stuff over experiences to put success over virtue, or just even to lose sight of the gift of life. You know what I mean? To lose sight that life is a gift, that your life is a gift, that your life is filled with gifts. It's easy to not be able to see that. And when we lose track of that, our hearts grow dark. How do we know this? Well, Jesus gives us a clue in the language that he uses. If you look a little bit more carefully, you'll see in verse 22, the word healthy, as it's translated, is actually the word that's much more often translated in the New Testament, generous. Isn't that interesting? A healthy heart is a 
generous heart, a heart that experiences the gift of life and a heart that gives. That's a healthy heart, as Jesus tells us. And then in verse 23, the word he uses for unhealthy is actually a word that's associated with the Jewish superstition called the evil eye. Maybe you've heard of the evil eye. It was really thought to be a thing in many ancient cultures. And what the evil eye meant is you're looking on somebody else with envy. They have something that you don't have, but that you want. An example of that in the biblical tradition is Sarah and Hagar, Abraham's wife and servant. Sarah looks at Hagar with the evil eye because she sees Hagar as having something she doesn't have and that she wants. And so you see, when we put envy in the place of generosity, when we put getting in the place of giving, it makes our hearts dark, a lamp. And then there's a third everyday object, and that is a slave. This is about exhaustion. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Exhaustion, working so hard. A slave is somebody whose energies belong to another. The the point is, you work for what owns you. And Jesus is cautioning us here not to find ourselves working in the end for one who doesn't know us and who doesn't love us, and that we made ourselves a slave. The key word here and the clue for Jesus is the word wealth. He doesn't use the word for money here. He uses an Aramaic word, which is mammon. In some of the old translations, just pull it right across, mammon. It's an Aramaic word, and it it comes from the Aramaic word for trust. This is something we trust. You you see, because over time, human beings, it's just human nature, tend to look at money and the promises that it seems to make to us, and we place our trust in those promises. So much so that Jesus almost personifies our money with this as though it were a force, like a minor deity, because we attribute to it powers. We attribute to our wealth the power to provide for our needs, to care for our families to satisfy our desires, to keep us safe in the face of adversity. We deify, we reify our wealth. But the surprise of this teaching is that we are the slaves and our wealth is the master. You see what Jesus does there? It was as surprising to them as it was for us. You see, in Luke 12, Jesus tells a story about a man who suddenly comes in a bunch of money and he says to himself, self, well, now sit back, relax, enjoy, and drink, and eat, drink, and be merry. And we think, yeah, that's what I would do if I were rich, right? That's what money is supposed to do. It's supposed to put you at ease. It's supposed to keep you from having to work. We even talk about putting your money to work, right? We think our money works for us. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. You work for your money, whether you have it or don't have it, and it will exhaust you. You're working for a God that doesn't know your name and doesn't give one rip about you. When we place our trust in anything other than God, it exhausts our hearts. A treasure, a lamp, and a slave. Which brings me back to the wise clerk at the hotel. By the way, her name is Erica. 
and umbrellas and a heart that was wrapped up in getting. That's my own. When Erica saw me hesitating, do I want an umbrella now inside as I'm about to go up to my hotel room? Or do I want one later when I'm about to walk out that door and go outside? And I hesitated, and I'm not proud of that. She saw that. She said, you know, sir, I'd be happy to give you an umbrella right now, and one for your wife as well. But there's a room back there, remember, with a limitless supply of umbrellas. I felt something snap in my heart. I mean, literally something. I felt it. Something changed. I felt this good feeling. I felt this, oh, Oh, it's a limitless supply of umbrellas back there. Oh, it, it was a good feeling. I looked at my wife. She looked at me. We're about to have a weekend away. We smiled at each other, and we took hands, and we walked up the hallway towards our hotel room, right? Oh, man, she just liberated my heart. Let me tell you what Erica gave us with one word. Here's what she gave me, the gift of enough. Enough. Put that in all caps because that is a gift, enough. This is what Jesus is inviting us to in this teaching, I believe, with these three objects. Each of them is a picture of a heart that is wrapped up in getting. It's a picture of a heart that's experiencing loss or a a picture of a heart that's losing perspective or a picture of a heart that's just dying with exhaustion because it doesn't have a sense of enough. This drive to keep getting more, more, more. Do you see how get, getting was working in my heart, the dynamics of getting? I mean, last I knew, nobody needs an umbrella in a hotel room, right? Indoors at all. So what was I thinking? What's the hesitation? Why am I giving this some good, solid thought? Well, three things. First of all, loss. I'm afraid what would happen if later when I want the umbrella, it's not available, Oh, I'd be crushed. I know it's hard for you to understand, but I was looking forward to a weekend in the rain with an umbrella and my wife, and, I, and I'd be so disappointed. There'd be loss and grief. And, and right now, I'm feeling fear that that won't be the case. You see, loss is dominant in my heart. And a perspective. In that moment, I looked around the hotel. I saw one person who actually had their own umbrella, And I saw a bunch of other people who didn't have an umbrella. They're obviously like me. They're going to want an umbrella. I just happen to be the first one who thinks about it. But someday they're going to think about it. And and they're going to come to the front desk and they're going to find there's an umbrella there. My umbrella is there and they're going to take it. And I'm going to come and my umbrella is not going to be there. In fact, there'll be no umbrellas. And I'm going to want what everybody else has. And now my heart is darkening because I'm starting to see everybody else as a competitor, right? I got to get one first. What happens if I'm the one without the umbrella? It just starts to distort my perception of these other human beings that are right there in front of me. I'm willing to win at their expense. My heart's already dark, losing perspective. And then exhaustion. I don't know if you've ever been to Victoria, but we didn't have a car. And so you walk to your hotel, and I have this big duffel bag. I've got all of our gear on my shoulder. I walked over a half a mile. I'm pretty sure I'm conservative to say to a kilometer, you know, and, and, I, and I get there and I'm at the desk just sort of hurting in every way. And, and I'm considering now for just a moment taking two of these hotel branded yellow umbrellas and sticking them somewhere in my load of stuff to carry them indoors. And why would I do that? Well, if I, if I think that if I don't do it, I will lose what I want to have to somebody else 
then I'm willing to fatigue myself. I'm willing to get as exhausted as need be. And so this is the, this is the power of get. This is what my heart is wrapped up in. What I'm saying is there's something going on in my heart that I don't understand. I have to look to Jesus to understand it. And he gives me a treasure, a lamp, and a slave. Hmm. What's driving all of this? Well, I, I don't believe I'm alone. Let me just give you a few examples kind of in contemporary culture. The New York Times recently did an article uh, about wealth in America. And they said, you know, in the heyday of the tech bubble in Silicon Valley, people used to walk around asking each other, what's your number? And what they meant by that was, what's your net worth that you'd have to achieve in order to retire, you know, in order to stop doing what you don't really want to do and start doing what you actually want to do? What's your number when you could actually enjoy your life? And what they were saying in this recent article is that nobody's asking that question in America anymore because our number is always more, right? He said, you, you, you can have $1,000, million, $10 million, you always want more. They said money is an addictive substance and it's killing us. Millennials are referring to themselves increasingly as uh, the generation of work, not laziness as the stereotype is. They're the rise and grind generation. Thank you, Nike. They're also calling themselves the burnout generation. Anne Helen Peterson is a millennial who's written what I consider to be an absolutely heartbreaking uh, essay. If you haven't read it, BuzzFeed, January, uh, Anne Helen Peterson. Parents, it'd be good to read. And in this essay, she says, why can't I get this mundane stuff done? She feels immobilized. And her answer, because I'm burned out. Why am I burned out? Because I've internalized the idea that I should be working all the time. Why have I internalized that idea? Because everything and everyone in my life has reinforced it explicitly and implicitly since I was done. Millennials, man, you guys are the high achievers in our midst, right? Perfect grades, didn't do the parties, you know, just did everything right. And now it's immobilizing. Internalize these expectations that I would be so much, and I can never be enough. Two writers were to party, Shelter Island, New York. The story's in in New Yorker. And the New Yorker reports that Kurt Vonnegut, who's the author of Slaughterhouse-Five, turns to Joseph Heller, you know, the author of Catch-22. And Kurt says, Joe, how does it make you feel to know that our host only yesterday may have made more money than your novel, Catch-22, has earned in its entire history? (laughs) And Joseph said, listen to this, I've got something he could never have. What on earth could that be, Joe? And Joseph Heller said, knowing that I've got enough. Knowing that I've got enough. Somebody else said, enough is as good as a feast, right? There's something going on in my heart that I don't understand, and yet Erica released something in my heart that was much more powerful and beautiful, the power of enough. And I'm suggesting to you today that it has to happen in your heart or it will not happen at all. 
See, she did it to my heart for a moment. When she said the words, limitless supply, I felt right there, something happening. All of a sudden, I didn't need an umbrella. Actually, in that moment, I didn't want an umbrella. And here's the point. Enough doesn't come from getting what we don't have. It comes from seeing what we do. Can I say that again to make sure you go home with this? Enough doesn't come from getting what we don't have. It comes from seeing what we do. It's all about the lamp. How did I end up with enough? Not by getting more. She didn't put anything else in my hands. If anything, she delivered me of burdens. But this is the lie. The lie you and I believe for some reason is that we get enough by getting more. And then we have an insatiable heart. We think one more dollar, one more A, one more like, one more belt loop. You fill in the blank. But and that, getting more will never get us to enough because enough doesn't come from getting what we don't have. It comes from seeing what we do. I want to invite you to do something, even today, if I could, just when you get home, tonight maybe, to, 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 to take a moment to see what you have in your life. It would be great to do with your family or your small group. Just take out a sheet of paper and a pencil and make a list of what you, what you have. What do you have? What have you been given? In what ways is your life a gift? Don't think about other people. Don't compare yourself with anyone. Don't think about things you've lost that you once had. Just think about right now what you are, who you are, what's in your hands. You may have lost loved ones in the past and you don't have them anymore, but do you not have the memories? Do you not have the love? Are these not eternal treasures? Now you can do this no matter what you believe, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have so much more to see. Because what Erica did in my heart for a moment, the Christ child can do in our hearts, both in this moment and for eternity. See, Jesus will change our hearts. That's why he came. He gives us a new heart. Listen to what we sing at this time of year. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And there it is. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do to you today. But I'll tell you this, he's not gonna do it without your consent. He's not gonna do it until you give him permission, until you say yes. You have to trust that he really can do that for him to be able to do that in your heart. Because I'll tell you, there was a moment, and I'm not proud to say this, when Erica said to me, oh, sir, we have a limitless supply in this room behind, where I had to ask myself, do I believe her? I, I, mean, I clearly remember going, you know what? <laughs> that's, if I worked at the front desk, that's what I would say too, when I only had three umbrellas back there. Right? Because that's how I would maintain my supply by giving these false sense of limitlessness, right? So I had to ask myself, do I believe what she's saying? Is that word true? Do I trust Erica? I looked into her face. And I did. And I did. I trusted her. By the way, you're going to want to know we got an umbrella later on. It was fine. <laughs> well, it was worth trusting Erica. 
But this is the question that, that, that is before each and every one of us this holiday season when we look into the f- face of the Christ child, you know, through the, reading the Gospels. And we look into the, and we ask ourselves, is this true? Do I really believe this? Or is this just what somebody has said? But your answer to that question determines everything, determines eternity. That, that, that's such an important question. Do I believe this word of God? Is this just another tragic birth into a world of scarcity and deprivation? Or is this the living word of God come to be the face of infinite love? Is there (laughs) somewhere a room in heaven above with a limitless supply of love for you, of grace for all of your sin, of healing for your every wound and of wealth, provision to meet all of your needs and to unlock your heart to allow generosity to flow out in gifts of every kind. Is there? I want to tell you, Christmas morning is the morning that God says to you and to me, yes, yes, there is. All of that and more. Greatest gift you can be given is the one and only Son of God. And God has said, he's yours. I will give you the gift of enough. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts a heading over these, his comments on these few verses. He puts the heading, the simplicity of the carefree life. Wow, what a gift that would be. And he writes, after you've been following Christ for a long time, the disciple of Jesus will be asked, Lack ye anything? And you will answer, nothing, Lord. And he says, how could you, when you know that despite hunger and nakedness, persecution and and danger, the Lord is always at your side? Well, you know that when Christ was born, magi came from the East, wealthy men, magicians. And they didn't come to get, they came to give. In fact, their coming is the origin of our Christmas gift-giving tradition. They they, they came with three gifts, the Gospels tell us, gold, incense, and myrrh, so we deduce that there may have been three magi. And they came following a great star. It was a, a lamp in the sky, shining light. Along the way, you know, they met a, a, a king named Herod who could never get enough, Herod. And for a moment, they came under the spell of his terrible fear, which had frozen all of Jerusalem. But as they walked down into the night sky after this lamp, and they saw it stop, St. Matthew, who tells us the story, same guy's reporting the words of Jesus here. St. Matthew says, the star stopped, and when they saw it stop, they were, quote, overwhelmed with joy. Because in that moment, they saw what God was giving them. And they fell to their knees and they opened their treasure chests and they gave the Christ child their hearts. I I wanna close with a little remembrance, if you allow me just to read one little thing to you by a man named Bob Perks called I Wish You Enough. Mr. Perks writes, recently I overheard a father and a daughter in their last moments together. They had announced her departure and standing near the security gate, they hugged and he said, I love you, I wish you enough. 
She in turn said, Daddy, our life together has been more than enough. Your love is all I ever needed. I wish you enough too, Daddy. They kissed and she left. He walked over toward the window where I was seated. Standing there, I could see he wanted and needed to cry. I tried not to intrude on his privacy, but he welcomed me in by asking, did you ever say goodbye to someone knowing it would be forever? Yes, I have, I replied. And I remembered expressing my love and appreciation to my father at the end of his life. Forgive me for asking, I ventured, but why is this a forever goodbye? I am old and she lives much too far away. I have challenges ahead. And the reality is the next trip back will be for my funeral, he said. When you were saying goodbye, I heard you say, I wish you enough. May I ask what that means? He began to smile. That's a wish that's been handed down from other generations. My parents used to say it to everyone. He paused for a moment and looking up as if trying to remember it in detail, he smiled even more. When we say, I wish you enough, we were wanting the other person to have a life filled with just enough good things to sustain them. He continued and then turning toward me, he shared the following as if it, he were reciting it from memory. And I offer this as our closing prayer. I wish you enough sun to keep your attitude bright. I wish you enough rain to appreciate the sun more. I wish you enough happiness to keep your spirit alive. I wish you enough pain so that the smallest joys in life appear much bigger. I wish you much gain, enough gain to satisfy your wanting. I wish you enough loss to appreciate all that you possess. I wish you enough hellos to get you through your final goodbye.